Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There's tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Jonah. Hello again, everyone. This is Mark Sheldrake here, Unlocking the Truth podcast, Ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us on the Precept app, thank you. If you haven't downloaded that app yet, visit the app store for your phone and you can download it, find out testimonies, videos, Uh, You can purchase from the store from it, as well as seeing what's coming up in workshops and training. Speaking of workshops, want to draw your attention to Dig Deeper, our summer program that's coming up in July. You can uh, visit our website now and find out all kinds of information about getting involved in the Dig Deeper study program. Boy, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? Well, there, during that time, uh, when you visit the site, you can see that there is a leader track. We can equip you to lead precept Bible studies, uh, refresh your skills in leadership, or you can go and become a better Bible study student by learning how to study New Testament letters, Old Testament history and prophecy, and so much more. If you are new to the ministry and you've never taken an inductive Bible study workshop, Visit there, register for Essentials of Inductive Bible Study, get engaged into the ministry, start your journey on the road to learning more about how to study the Bible. Without further ado, let's dig into the scriptures and look at Jonah chapter 3 this week. Father, we do thank you uh, for the time that we have to be able to spend together in uh, your word. Lord, I pray that through this avenue and this ministry on this podcast that you would continue to impact lives, that people would be challenged to live a life that brings honor and glory to you in all that uh, that we say and do. Father, I pray that as we uh, look at the scriptures today, that again, our hearts would be challenged, that we would be encouraged, that we would be lifted up, that we begin to uh, think more like you, act more like you and be a light in a very dark place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so here we go. We are into our third episode of four in the book of Jonah. Uh, Where have we gone? Where have we been? Uh, What have we talked about? So we're not going to uh, get into deep, deep review of everything that we've been covering, but let me give you the titles of what we've been looking at. First, running from the will of God, chapter one. When God calls you to do something and you run in the other direction, uh, there will be consequences to that. Uh, God wants your heart. God wants obedience, so follow after him. 
uh, running from the will of God, chapter 1. Chapter 2, submitting to the will of God. We see that God used a, a great fish to swallow up Jonah, but in that time when he was in the water, uh, he became uh, very knowledgeable of his surroundings and cried out to God when he desperately needed to be rescued. And God answered his prayers. Submit to the will of God uh, was number two. Number three, this week, what we're looking at is simply this, accomplishing the will of God. Okay, so run from the will, submit to the will of God, uh, and accomplish the will of God. Next and final episode will be questioning the will of God. That will be fun, won't it? Nobody questions God's will, do they? Well, we'll find out coming up uh, in the next episode, our final episode of Jonah. We are going to spend a lot of time here. We're going to be challenging through these scriptures. There's just 10 verses in chapter 3, but there is a lot in there, a lot of questions, a lot of things to think about. And the first thing that I want to lay out in thought is this. Are you ready? Wait for it. Here it comes. The question of all questions was... This, the greatest revival in the history of Scripture. Is Jonah chapter 3 the greatest revival we have ever read about in Scripture? Hmm, very interesting, isn't it, to think about that? Well, let's, let's look at a couple of revivals that, that have happened in the Scriptures, things that have taken place where people have come together. Uh, we have uh, Josiah. Uh, Josiah brought his people to the point of repentance and sackcloth for knowing that they were living a life that was not bringing honor and glory to God. The word of God had been lost for 57 years, and after it was found in the rubble, they read it, and they were transformed. There's there's a, a large number, and it's 21 years, I believe, and around that time that uh, Israel uh, and Judah found great success under the leadership of Josiah. So there's, there's one pretty big uh, opportunity. Uh, another one is Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, when Nea, um, when Ezra is reading the book of the law and uh, the Levites are explaining the words of the law to, to the Israelites who had been in captivity for a long time. Uh, the temple had been rebuilt, but they did not understand or fully obey everything that was happening. And when the Levites explained the scriptures to them, uh, the people wept. Their hearts were broken because they were not following the commands of God. And so they committed from that day to, to do that and serve in that way. And then that revival didn't last very long. After Nehemiah left and went back to Artaxerxes' service, uh, the enemies were back living within, uh, the, within the walls of the temple until Nehemiah came back again and corrected everybody. But a great moment in the history of Judah when people turned uh, back toward the Lord. Another great revival comes in the book of Acts. And really, it's all of the book of Acts shows us where, you know, 
thousands of people are coming to the revelation of the need for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, Acts chapter 2 tells us uh, more than 3,000 at one time uh, came to know Jesus. So there's all these uh, examples through Scripture where there's a, a revival or a transformation or a bringing about of a, a heart change. And so we're going to look at that this week in Jonah chapter 3. And really, I might lean towards, okay, I might lean towards uh, agreeing with some scholars who say this was the greatest revival in the history of Scripture, and, and we'll look at why. why. Why might this be? But we also want to look at what God is going to do through Jonah in this chapter. All right, let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it uh, the proclamation which I am going to tell you. All right, so first and foremost, we know that in chapter 1 was the first time that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. In chapter 1, uh, I'll take you back there, and he says, The word of the Lord came to the Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before them. That is the mission that God has given Jonah to do. But we know from chapter 1, he ran from that mission. He went in the opposite direction resulting in this this transformation of Jonah to to fall back in line with God, sort of like the slap on the wrist, you know, the discipline of God brought Jonah back in line to take on the task that he was originally given in chapter 1. And now in chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes again. It comes a second time to him, and the message is, go to Nineveh and tell these people what I have for them. So now the difference is between chapter 1 and chapter 3, all right, so because Jonah was disciplined and rebuked and brought back in line, Jonah is now going to go to Nineveh and he is submitting to the will of God to accomplish it, even though, even though, wait for it, he is reluctant to do so. He, he's submitting to it, but he's reluctant to do so. And we're going to look at that for a moment and see why. Verse 3 tells us, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding uh, great city in a three days walk. Uh, I read one uh, note from uh, a scholar who, who said, uh, just in the first three verses, one of the key words is the word great. And what we see here in the word great, we first see Nineveh is a great city, uh, and to proclaim to it the proclamation which I've given you. And then it says Nineveh was exceedingly great city. So Nineveh um, is playing a, a very captive role, and yet at the same time, God cares about the people of Nineveh to the point that he is sending this proclamation to them. So we're going to look a little closer at Nineveh for a moment. Uh, we did a bit of this in chap- when we did chapter 1, 
But Nineveh played a very important part. They are a part of the Assyrian Empire, really the capital city of um, this. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And so in Nahum chapter 3, we really get to see a lot about Nineveh. So let's look at uh, Nahum chapter 3 and listen to what we learn about this um, this city, great city of Nineveh. We won't, we won't read the whole thing because it's, it's in a number of verses. Woe to the bloody city who's completely fill, full of lies and they pillage and her prey never departs. The noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling of the wheel, the galloping horses and the bounding chariots. Horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, Many slayed as a mass of corpses and countless dead bodies. They stumble over dead bodies. All because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries and families. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will lift up your skirts over your face and show, you, show to the nations your nakedness and to the kingdom your disgrace. I will throw filth on you and make you vile, and I will set up as a spectacle. It'll come about all who see you will shrink from you and say, Nineveh was devastated. Who will grieve her for who will grieve for her where I will seek comforts for you? Uh, Nineveh is described by God as an adulterous, contemptible uh, nation. All right, they had all kinds of wealth. They were um, going after all kinds of objects that they were desiring, and God was against them, and God was going to cut them off. He would make these people a spectacle before him, put them out in the open to be seen, um, and they would be punished by God. So their greatest sin that they committed was violence. Their greatest sin was that they were violent and that they killed many and that they really did overtake uh, the northern kingdom. So God was going to judge them because of the sin of violence. We see that in, in Nahum chapter 3. Back to Jonah. So this evil city, this great city, all right? So what we're looking at, and here's what some, some uh, people believe regarding, this, some scholars believe regarding uh, Jonah. The message was to go to the capital city of Nineveh, but also to go to the surrounding areas around Nineveh. So all of these places were going to be judged for the sin of violence. God was going to take them out. So Jonah, he goes to Nineveh and he's going to start with his message in Nineveh. And we learn that this is in a great or exceedingly great city or a three days walk. Uh, they have kind of historically measured out the distance of about 60 miles around this city or approximately 95 kilometers around, okay? So the circumference of this area is about 95 kilometers for you Canadians listening, 60 miles 
for those of you still in the the world of imperial measurements, all right? So it's a big place. Uh, it's a massive place to, to go. For me, 95 kilometers would take me from where we are at our office uh, into downtown Toronto. So uh, it's, a, it's a long distance. It takes us an hour by car. And what they're saying is for Jonah to, to do this, it would take three days to walk around this city proclaiming the message that God has for him. All right, so let's, let's follow through here and let's see what happens. Okay, Jonah is about to accomplish the will of God. He, he's the reluctant servant or the reluctant prophet who's going to take this message to Nineveh. Here's the most interesting thing, okay? This is what I found out this week. I thought it was quite cool. I thought, you know, I'll make a note of it. We'll mention it. But did you know that Jonah is the only prophet in the scriptures that is recorded as not bringing a message to God's chosen people or the Jews? Uh, Jonah's message is laid out for Gentiles. So he is a prophet of God who is bringing the message to the Gentiles. This is why I think it's one of the greatest um, revivals in the history of recorded scripture because this prophet is going to a Gentile nation to preach the word of God. All right, verse 4. Jonah began to go through the city a one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. All right, so he's heading through the city. All right, this, this is what kind of really blows my mind. It should blow your mind too. Let's hope so. All right, okay. Jonah, recorded in scripture here that we see, uh, begins, he's one day in, and he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, Warren Wearsby, uh, who has written a number of different commentaries, he, said, he, cl- he claims in his commentary that this is Jonah's one sermon. Jonah has one sermon, and he preaches that one sermon, and that sermon is based solely on wrath, all right? So the message is that of violence is coming to you. In 40 days, God is going to overturn you. And then I want to kind of draw out and, and let's think. Let's reason the scripture for a moment. Let's look at what some people think regarding uh, what's happening here. But let's look at the response. Yet 40 days, all right, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, that's the message that Jonah is yelling out into the city, all right? If he had a megaphone, he'd be yelling out, Yet 40 days, Nineveh is coming. What was the, the man, uh, Paul Revere, the redcoats are coming. He just kept claiming that as he was running. The most interesting story from historical uh, is the, the man who ran uh, 26.2 miles to Marathon, Greece, with a note about coming uh, war. And when he got there, he, he died. He, he brought the message and he died 
after running to marathon with this message. Interesting, isn't it, that all of the marathons and the races that happen in the world today come out of that one event when he was bringing a message uh, of warning to, to marathon in that time. So here Jonah is bringing the warning. We are going to overthrow, God is going to overthrow Nineveh in 40 days. The 40 days shows us the grace of God in the fact that he is giving time for the, Nin- the Ninevites to repent, to to have their hearts moved from that of focusing on violence and destruction and taking out people to having a life that comes under the obedience of God, to repent of their sin and their behavior. And so look at what happens in uh, one day in, okay, one day, one sermon, and look at verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh, believed in God, they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now, let me just, before we go on, because I've been really thinking about this this week, and and I don't know if we're ever really fully going to have an answer. There's a lot of speculation about it, okay? There's there's a lot of different scholars that are, are, are talking about this very point of who Jonah is, what Jonah says, and the reaction of the people. So I put in my notes here, uh, I just had the question that I, I don't, I'll be, just set this up for you. I don't know if I can answer it, okay? But I put this question out there for the purposes of us to think about it and then see what happens. All right. Did Jonah's experience with the fish play any role in the response of the people? Okay, so just just to think about, let, let me give you that question one more time. Did Jonah's experience with the fish play a role in what happened in the response to the people? Because okay, what I've been thinking about this week, all right, I've been thinking about this as, as I've been kind of pondering and wondering, how does Jonah, a Jew, a Jewish man, walk into enemy territory with, with great reluctance, who doesn't want to go there? Why? Because uh, the, the violence was against his people and his, his home was destroyed by them. He doesn't want to go there and preach that message. He would rather see, as we'll see in chapter 4, he would rather see God rain judgment down on his enemy because they've been oppressing them for, for many, many, many years. So how does the enemy of the Assyrians, okay, yes, a servant of God, yes, God is sovereign. Don't, don't um, you know, think that I'm not saying that God is not sovereign. But what is it? about that they go that Jonah walks through the middle of the city and he says yet 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown and the response of the people is to repent to put on sackcloth to the greatest okay so from you know the rich to the poor the, the people who are in authority down to 
you know, the people who, who participate in the society, all of them repent. All right, so, so here's, here's a couple of, of thoughts that have run through my mind and run through the, um, the minds of some, of some scholars, okay? So my first thought was, and look, I'm wrestling this out with you through this microphone. If we were having a discussion about this, we, we could talk about it, all right? So did the sailors have anything to do with what Nineveh knew? Okay, first and foremost, did the sailors have any information or did they share what happened to them on the boat when they saw Jonah go into the fish, okay, get swallowed up by the fish when he was thrown overboard by them, that when the sea uh, calmed or the storm calmed and they made a covenant and commitments to God and sacrifice to God, that their hearts were changed and somehow through their word of mouth, the experience of Jonah got back to the people of Nineveh. Is that one possibility? Maybe. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. The other thing that some scholars believe is that, yes, there was some message of Jonah getting back to Nineveh. That Jonah was not vomited up by the fish on the shore of Nineveh, but he was vomited up, if you look at chapter 2, it tells us um, just that he was vomited up on dry land. Uh, most likely, I think uh, one scholar said near Tarshish. So there, there was some time for Jonah that still he still needed to get to Nineveh. So the, the, the transformation or the event of a man being swallowed by a fish and then being uh, that getting word out to the people, that it reached the people of Nineveh. Another scholar says, and very interesting, and I, you know, I don't know, I, th- I feel like a lot of it is uh, speculation, but some also believe that the, 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 when Jonah was in the, um, the stomach of the fish, that his uh, skin color and his, uh, it changed uh, colors with the acid of the fish, and therefore when when word had gone forward that Jonah was the one who was swallowed by the fish and that things had changed in his appearance, that when he showed up into Nineveh, that the people recognized that that was the Jonah who was swallowed by the fish, and therefore because he was swallowed by the fish and he was still there, that that experience was real. And what happened with Jonah was that that sign that helped the people understand that the message that Jonah was bringing from God was that of destruction, and therefore the people repented. So the story may have gone, there was a man named Jonah, and Jonah was supposed to go and preach against the Ninevites and tell them that God was going to overthrow them if they didn't repent. But Jonah ran in the opposite direction, and when he ran in the opposite direction, God raised up a storm, and the storm was so great, the sailors threw Jonah into the sea, the fish swallowed him up, 
Jonah was in the fish for three days and vomited up on dry land. And now there's Jonah in Nineveh with maybe, maybe, I don't know. Don't know if I can wrap my head around it, that the skin color might have been different. Something was different about Jonah. He walked one day into the city and therefore he yelled out, yet in 40 days, God will overthrow Nineveh and the people responded. You see, there's two parts of this. And the most important thing that comes out of all this, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Okay, this is the most important thing that's come out of all my pondering this week. Okay, here it is. God is sovereign. God is going to accomplish his will. And God is going to use even the reluctant servant who does not want to bring the message to accomplish his will. You see, it doesn't matter what we can speculate in the scriptures. It doesn't matter whether we think that Jonah's face changed color. It doesn't matter whether the sailors actually went and started preaching or talking about the story of Jonah before he got there. The reality of the story is not Jonah. It is God. At the center of it all, it is the very fact that God is going to accomplish his will no matter who he uses. Isn't it amazing? And yet in all of that, God chose to use Jonah. It, it, just, it just blows my mind when I think about the sovereignty of God. I think about where maybe you sit or where I sit in the roles that we have out in the country. Maybe we're, you know, a servant in the church, an elder in the church, or, you know, the national director of precept ministries. It doesn't matter. But God has put us in a place for such a time as this to accomplish his will, and he's going to use us to do that. We have the privilege to be used to further the kingdom of God. That is far greater than all of the speculation that might come for, why did these people heed to the message of Jonah? They heeded to the message of Jonah because God is sovereign. Because God is in control. Because God is going to accomplish his will. Uh, their eyes were opened. Uh, this is such an amazing thing, okay? Because as we walk through it, we see what's happening in, in the text here. Um, we're looking at, when we look at verse 5, it says, The people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now, this is the amazing part of this, okay? This is what I want us to think about for a moment. When Jonah brought the message, the people who heard the message immediately went into a uh, and the action of repentance. They put on sackcloth. They, they, they took on all the practices of, okay, this is, this is showing our humility before God and our repentance and our, and our heart is bowed before you. We, we know we've sinned and, and we, we want to hold back the wrath of God. Therefore, we are going to repent. Uh, the, the theme I had for chapter three was uh, the people repent and God relents. So what we've got here is we've got these people changed. Now watch this. Watch. This is amazing. Pay attention close. Verse 6. All right, what happens? When word reached the king of Nineveh, 
he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. Here's Here's what's absolutely amazing. The people and their transformation their heart change, their, their, their mode of repentance, their, their mourning in sackcloth change the government. Do you see that? So it started with the people, and then the message eventually got to the king. How would it have gotten to the king? Well, I'm sure that the king's servants would have been reporting back what's happening in the city. There's this man proclaiming that in 40 days, God is going to overthrow. And then the king hears that message, and he too, he exchanges his royal clothing for clothing of humility and repentance. Uh, The people changed, and, and their hearts were transformed, Uh, They were alerted to the judgment of God coming. Their hearts were changed, and that heart change reached the king, and the king changed. Isn't that really the desire that that we have? Do you have that prayer that on some level that the gospel message of Jesus Christ will reach the leaderships of our countries so that their hearts will be transformed and they will make a commitment and a stand for the word of God and that stand for the word of God will bring about transformation of a city and so that that transformation causes God to relent from his judgment. That's my desire. My my heart's desire is for people's lives to be transformed by the word of God, that they're brought to their knees in repentance, and a nation is transformed from what we see today into a country that is in full pursuit of Jesus Christ and his teaching. Uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to start uh, releasing some some sermon messages. Uh, just beware, I'm, I've already pre-recorded a number of messages in the book of Daniel. And we're going to be looking at uh, about eight episodes in the character of Daniel called Resolve. How to live in the world, but but not of the world. How do we live in a culture that is so seeking to absorb us and transform us to be more like the world. Well, I can't wait to get into that, but the reality is that here we are in this, we're seeing that even the king is about to be transformed by this message from God. Verse 7 says, He issued a proclamation And it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink. But both man and beast must be covered in sackcloth and let the men call on God earnestly that each man turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger 
so that we will not perish. Right, right now, you are, you are witnessing in the scriptures one of the greatest revivals in the history of scripture. Uh, if you flip quickly forward to, to uh, Jonah chapter 4, uh, verse 11, you'll see a number there. And it says, uh, verse 11 says, Should I not have cut, had compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? Uh, some scholars point to this 120,000 in not knowing their right to their left hand as being children. And that really, in reality, that Nineveh wasn't 120,000 people, but it was more around 600,000, maybe close to a million people with the surrounding areas. So if it were either 600,000 or a million people, look at what happens when the king makes the proclamation. One, everybody gets into sackcloth and mourning, man and beast. No sacrifices to any other gods, only focusing on repentance and heart transformation in the hopes that God will relent in his coming judgment. He says that uh, they must call out to God. What does he want them to do? Admit their sin. He wants them to call out to God, admit they were wrong, repent of their sin, and follow after him. This right here, if, it's, if, if it were a million or 600,000, are you seeing it? Are you seeing that God accomplishing his will is turning a nation around. I couldn't help but think about Abraham's uh, discussion with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. That it seemed like sort of a negotiation between Abraham and God. If, if there were just this many righteous men, would you, would you relent in, in your wrath upon um, that area? And God says, yes, I would relent if there was even ten righteous men. Uh, God, would you, would you relent of your, of your wrath if there was this? Yes, yes, Abraham, I would relent. But God already knew that there was not one other than Lot who was righteous. God rescued Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed it. You see, the path in which Nineveh was headed because of their sin was destruction. But, verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. You see, what we have in these verses is we have that 
God is going to accomplish his will. The reluctant servant went and shared the message, and we saw transformation. So much transformation that God relented in his message. I can't help but think of of the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, In Ezekiel chapter 3, uh, verses 16 to 21, uh, let me read these verses to you and and listen to to the message that, that comes from here concerning the very same thing. And what he says is, um, chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, at the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, I have pointed you as a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear the word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked, from his wicked way, that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you, yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from the wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered yourself. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, I place an obstacle before him, and he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sins. His righteous deeds shall be done not remembered. But blood I require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man, and the righteous man should not sin, and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warnings, and you have delivered yourself. Do you hear it? When when the message comes, the message to deal with sin comes, the result is life or death. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 20, another, another example of this. So let's, let's look at this verse in uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 to 27. And just, just listen to um, what, what happens here in, in following the will of God and, and the, the importance of the role of bringing the message. Uh, verse 17 says, uh, of verse 20, if I get to the right page here, uh, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. When he came to them, he said, You yourself know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of Jesus. How did I not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jew and Greek of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life on any account as dear to myself, so I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify solemnly to the gospel and the grace of God. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Do you know what Paul's saying and what, 
what we're seeing in Ezekiel. God is saying that when there is a message that needs to be preached and it needs to go out to the people, you need to accomplish that will and you need to follow in that direction. The same way that Jonah did. If Jonah didn't preach that message, the blood was on him. That's what Ezekiel tells us. That your responsibility, your sole responsibility is to share the message and God is going to take care of the rest. But, but there is judgment coming for those who, who don't share the message. That's very interesting to think about. I think about how often we sit in our, in our world that we live in today and we see a brother or sister, a Christian who's in sin and we don't say anything. That we don't hold account or bring people back because you know what? The world tells us that Christians aren't supposed to judge, right? They're not supposed to judge people if they're in their sin, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to walk along with our brothers and sisters and we're supposed to teach the word of God and show in the word of God how it is to live a righteous life. And sometimes in that, it's calling out sin and behaviors that are not appropriate. I just finished teaching Daniel chapter 6 with, with my Bible study group and we were looking at integrity and, and having the understanding of what it means to be people of integrity. Uh, living in, inwardly and outwardly the same way. You see, what happened here is these people were, were living in sin, sin was called out, and repentance happened. It's, it's absolutely amazing what, what we see happening in this chapter as, as scholars say, one of the greatest revivals in the history of Scripture. Gentiles, all about violence, all about conquering nations, false worshiping, false gods, all about themselves, full pursuit of Jesus of God, calling out to God in the hopes that he would relent in his judgment. You see, what we can do with this now is we can look at all the way back and we can think about ourselves. We, we can close out Jonah chapter 3 and we can think about you and I. So what do we learn? One, God hates sin. That's number one. God hates sin. God desires his people to follow after him. Number two, we know that God judges sin. And that God used Jonah to bring a message of judgment to him. Now, this, this is absolutely amazing. And this kind of blew my mind this week. Uh, going back to Warren Wearsby and thinking about just the very fact that um, the very fact that we have uh, Jonah doing one sermon, uh, Jonah doing one sermon, and then comparing to what we see in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Turn with you to Matthew chapter twelve and thirty-eight to forty-one. So Matthew chapter twelve, verse thirty-eight, and here's here's what uh, we have. Um, coming up, okay? So this is when Jesus is mentioning Jonah. Uh, verse 38 says, Then some scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered to them and said, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to you 
but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I just want you to, to hear for a moment. I want you to hear, uh, I'll read it to you, the, the quote that comes from uh, Warren Wearsby uh, when he's wrapping his mind around and he's thinking about this one sermon. Listen, listen to what he says in comparison to Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. He says, The Ninevites heard one sermon from one preacher, and that sermon emphasized wrath, not love. Yet the Ninevites repented and they were forgiven. The Jews heard the Son of God for three years, heard the message of God's forgiveness, had miracles to back it up, and they refused to repent. Because of this, the Jews were in greater condemnation because of what they of having multiple sermons versus one sermon. Uh, that that kind of kind of blew my mind this week, and just this whole idea of one the accomplishing the will of God. God simply wants us to speak that sermon. He wants us to share that message that one He hates sin and that He is going to judge sin. That's our responsibility. The rest is solely dependent on the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in the life of the one who was hearing the message. You see, God is going to accomplish his will. We have the privilege and opportunity to be used to accomplish his will. But God just wants us to take the message and go. That's the first step. And look what God was able to accomplish through Jonah. Listen to what another commentary uh, said regarding the sovereignty and work of God. He said, the Ninevites were in full pagan belief. And from, from the divine side, what God did was God in his miraculous work was a part of the wholesale repentance pagan sailors, a pagan city, all responded to the message of a reluctant prophet, which shows the power of God in spite of the weakness of a servant. You see, what God wants us to do, and what we need to pull from this week's message and this week's episode, is that God just wants us to walk in faith and in his will. And when God gives us a task to do, we need to step out and make that task happen. Even though it's uncomfortable or something that we don't want to do, if God calls us to it, we've got to do it. And look how God will use you as an instrument for the furthering of his kingdom. First uh, Corinthians uh, is where we're going to to close off our time together. First Corinthians, and just looking at the Apostle Paul, I believe it's chapter two. I'll confirm in in one short minute as I flip over there. Uh, chapter two, uh, verses 
1 to 5, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the writer of the majority of the gospel. I've shared these verses so many times. We have a workshop on witnessing, um, uh, understanding witnessing that you could to participate in. And I share this scripture in every one. One of the greatest things that happens in the life of believer when they are given a message from God to share is they're very reluctant to do so because one, they're, they, be, they don't want to be rejected. Two, they don't want to offend. And three, they don't know what to say. Uh, Jonah was reluctant to go because he was bringing a message to his bitter enemy. But listen to the Apostle Paul. Just, just to wrap our minds around this, the Apostle Paul, who was beaten and shipwrecked and arrested, scourged, brought before courts. Why? All because he loved Jesus Christ. He, he was given a task to do by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was to share and preach the gospel to all who would hear. His life was transformed by the gospel, but listen to his, his kind of character and his listen to what he says in this he says when i came to you church first corinthians church when i came to you i did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of god uh, i didn't come knowing everything I needed to know. I didn't have the perfect PowerPoint presentation or I didn't have it all together. I, I came to you um, in weakness. For I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Very interesting statement that he puts out there because when he talks about his Jewish life, he was excelling well beyond everybody in knowledge of the law. And yet when he came to this church, he came as though he only really knew the gospel. And what Jesus did for him on the road to Damascus. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of the power, so that fate, your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Do you see it? Our job is really just, when God calls us to do something, we are to go and do it. The rest is up to God. Uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, also Paul writing in Romans, uh, the famous gospel we, uh, message we know there, okay, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in the gospel message is the righteousness of God. It's not my words, although it's good to make sure that we get the principles of the gospel when we're, when we're sharing it. But it's the action of the cross that is the power. When God calls us to do something to accomplish his will, we just need to say, yes, I will go. And God will use us in our weakness 
God will use us in our fear and our trembling to accomplish his will. This is what we're seeing here in this message, in the sovereignty of God. God is going to accomplish his will with or without you. But the amazing thing is he chooses to use you. So what has God been calling you to do that you have been running from? Has been God been calling you to share the gospel message with a family member? Has God been calling you to call out sin of another believer that you know is doing something wrong? I'll never forget the time somebody called me on the phone out of the blue. And it was a woman who said, Mark, I know you're a Christian, and my husband is training you. He was a personal trainer. He was teaching me weightlifting. And she said, my husband has been in an adulterous affair with another trainer at the gym. Can you help me? Can you talk to him? about the importance of the covenant of marriage. And so, you know, I felt like this is a pretty big deal. He was a big guy, big muscles, you know. I was really afraid that he's going to punch me in the face. And I, I was nervous about doing this. this. This trainer was proclaiming with his mouth that he was a Christian. And yet his actions were showing sin and adultery. And so I thought, you know, this it'd be much better if I could get a friend with me so that if he decides to beat me up in an alley, that at least there'd be somebody there to call the ambulance. My thought was life preservation here in calling out this sin. I was so afraid to do it. Friend and I prayed prayed and asked God, we prayed and, prayed and asked for courage and wisdom and strength and how we could approach this trainer and talk to him about this sin. And we asked him a question. When you see somebody in the gym working out and you see them using the equipment inappropriately and that use of the equipment can cause an injury, would you go and talk to that person and show them the right way? And that trainer said right away, absolutely. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We don't want to have any liabilities or insurance issues. And more importantly, we don't want anybody to die by using this equipment improperly. And we said to him, right now, you are weightlifting improper. And he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. He, didn't, he couldn't figure it out. And we said, you're lifting wrong. You're lifting wrong. He said, you need to explain this to me more. And I said, your wife called me. Your wife knows about your adulterous affair. Your wife knows that you're having an affair with somebody here in the gym. You have a young daughter. 
brand new baby and you committed to be in a relationship with your wife, you made a covenant between you, your family members, your church, and God. You're living in a way that is going to bring about your destruction. You see, he heard that message. He heard that one conversation. But friends, he did not repent. To this day, he is now divorced and living with this woman he had an affair with. They are now a couple. The wife, she, she has moved on in, in her life with their, with their child. But there was no repentance. You see, it wasn't my responsibility to ensure that this trainer repented. It was my responsibility to bring the message. And in this case, he chose to shut God off. To not heed the message of repentance that God had for him. Unlike the Ninevites, who heard the message of Jonah, called out to God in the hopes that God would relent and not be destroyed. Do you see the heart? The greatest revival in the history of Scripture is Nineveh turning after God. Pagans worshiping false idols and false gods, worshiping the sin of violence, heart transformation. Jonah's role, share the message, let God do the work. It's the same for you. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us. Lord, I pray right now for everybody listening. I pray that if you have laid out a command, if you have given somebody a mission that they need to accomplish for you and for your kingdom, that you would give them the courage and the boldness to do so. Maybe it is calling out sin in another believer. Lord, those conversations are difficult, but you see, it's just our responsibility to bring the message and for you to do the rest. So we need that courage and boldness, Lord, just to speak. Having faith in you, knowing that you will be at work through your Holy Spirit in the heart of the one receiving the message. Father, may we be people who have a desire to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.